A reading from the Letter to the Hebrews. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called out to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said through Isaac, shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. The word of the Lord. Uh, let's, uh, let's begin our time with prayer. Father God, would you open our eyes that we would see, open our ears that we would hear, and open our hearts that we would receive what you desire for us today from your word. We pray this in the powerful and precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, it is a humbling opportunity whenever asked to preach. And uh, when you don't do this on a regular basis, uh, you feel a little rusty. And uh, this is not a passage that uh, I was prepared to preach from. My type of preaching is itinerant preaching. I can pull one out of the file when I'm going to a church. And, uh, you know, I may have done it a few times and brush up a few examples. So, uh, this is a new passage for me to preach from today, and I trust you'll be encouraged from it as much as I have been as well. So the year was 1988. Karen and I were 26. 26. We were living in Baltimore, Maryland. We both had good jobs. We had no debt. We had a his and her Ford Escort and a cat named Tim. 
So if you're a Three Stooges fan, you'll understand. Uh, we had promising careers, uh, a good group of friends, a great community in our church. But in the midst of all that, we up and moved halfway across the globe to a little country in Southeast Africa called Swaziland and to serve with a mission organization called Transworld Radio. Now, was it really that hard to leave? Uh, did it take much faith to go to Swaziland seriously? Doesn't it sound uh, exotic, sort of like Timbuktu or Tahiti, Swaziland? Um, we were supported uh, by several local churches and individuals. Uh, we had everything we needed to set up a home. We arrived in Africa. And we had the privilege of serving with a great group of people from 13 different countries, both in Africa, Europe, but really around the globe. Faith? Well, perhaps. Uh, but looking back, sometimes it feels like it was more of a well-planned, uh, extended opportunity. In our passage today that Bill read for us, the author of Hebrews, now, Deacon Susan got us started a few weeks ago on this pass in uh, this chapter, chapter eleven. Uh, she refers to the author of Hebrews as the preacher, uh, whether it's a him or a her. Uh, and uh, in this section that we're going to look at today, the preacher uses Abraham as an example of what real faith looks like when it comes to leaving the comfort of one's place, uh, one's possessions and the people uh, that one loves and cares for. It's a difficult passage, I find, because I don't think I'm ever going to experience what Abraham had to experience. And yet, this is the type of faith that God is calling us to as well. So for the past few weeks, we've been looking at this topic of faith. When Father Aaron told me the passage I was speaking from, uh, I was, uh, I was laughing a bit. Every spiritual inventory I've ever taken, faith shows up nowhere on the inventory. So uh, this message, I think the Holy Spirit was saying, Jim, this is for you as much as anyone else today. Um, we're currently in that book of Hebrews. Some say it's a letter, others a sermon. But the real focus of this book is that the preacher is encouraging his readers or listeners to endure, to press on in the Christian life so they don't fall away from their faith. And today we're going to look at the example of Abraham. The preacher provides a definition somewhat of what faith looks like in the very first verse of chapter 11 and says that now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Uh, the passage read by Bill put it this way, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The assurance, the certainty of things hoped for. What are those foundational truths of the Christian faith that we hope for? The second coming of Christ, our eternal home in heaven. And then what are, what are those convictions that we have? those beliefs that we experience on a daily basis that, uh, that we as believers trust in, uh, the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, 
It may be for us the mystery of prayer. Um, God's forgiveness of my sins, things I really can't see, but I experience and I believe in wholeheartedly. So uh, these are things and markers, I believe, of faith. So what does it look like to live by faith? That's the key word in this whole chapter of of, uh, Hebrews 11. More than 20 times in certain versions of Scripture, that phrase, by faith, is used. And uh, it's certainly what the preacher wants us to know. So Abraham and his family, they're living in a place called the Ur of Chaldees. I had to get that in there. It's just a sort of fun to say. The Ur of Chaldees. Um, today, it'd probably be found in southern Turkey. And uh, at the time of Abraham, this is a pretty well-to-do, bustling metropolis. Uh, you're going to find skilled workers, a, a, a healthy economy, an arts community. Uh, it was also a place of idol worship as well. That's sort of the background from which Abraham comes from. So let's begin. Verse uh, 8 of chapter 11. The preacher writes this. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive at his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Now, Abraham, when called, the Abrahamic covenant, the call of Abraham can be found in the book of Genesis in chapter 12, where God says he's going to make Abraham into a great nation. He was going to bless Abraham, make his name great, that he would be a blessing. Now, the one who would become the father of many nations is being asked to pick up and move, to leave the comfort and familiarity of family and friends, and place uh, to leave the Ur of Chaldees, even though he didn't know where he was going to go. I find that remarkable. And Scripture says, Abraham obeyed. And we're going to find out that obedience is one of the true markers of living by faith. Obedience. Obedience. Obedience in the Word of God, obedience in the call of God. Has there been a time in your life where you sense that God has been asking something of you, but maybe you're not sure what it is or what you're to do or how you're to do it or where you're even supposed to go? Remember in the beginning, I mentioned that we uh, left for Swaziland. And uh, before we left, I was sitting in a church on a Wednesday night, uh, sort of back in this area here, uh, maybe where Joel Carpenter was sitting. And uh, it was the end of a missions conference at our church. And the keynote speaker said this, so many Christians say, oh, Lord, I'm willing to go wherever you want. The reality is we're planning to stay right where we His challenge that night was plan to go, but be willing to stay if the Lord closed the door. I had never looked at missions in that way before. I went home that night and told Karen, I think we ought to start planning to go. And we did. And the reality is we had no idea where we were going to end up. Swaziland in Africa. 
Verse 9, by faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. Not only did Abraham leave the comfort of a place he knew, but he let go of possessions, and he really let go of possessing the land that had been promised to him, the land of Canaan. While he went to Canaan in the promised land, he didn't settle there. He ends up living a nomadic life as a stranger in a foreign country, living in tents. And we see all too often in our culture today what it's like to live as a stranger in a foreign country. Think of the refugees and the immigrants that are coming into our country and into the cities of North America, plotting in police stations, having to live in abandoned schools, wondering where their next meal is coming from. Abraham didn't go and take out a mortgage and buy a new home and establish roots in a new city. Uh, he lived this nomadic life in a tent. Have you been in a tent when it's pouring rain outside or when it's really hot and muggy? My wife grew up camping and she'd go camping tonight if uh, she had a tent to do so. Me, not so much. I like the comfort of a Holiday Inn Express or uh, anything of that level and up. This wasn't glamping for, uh, for Abraham and his family. Instead, Abraham chose not to permanently establish roots in this land of Canaan. And here's why. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. He wasn't just looking for the earthly promised land. His sight was set on his eternal home, the city that God was preparing for him. And that city is an earthly or a, a heavenly city. It's the city that, uh, or it's a perspective then that is another marker of faith, not only obedience. But Abraham shows us that having a heavenly perspective is a marker of one who walks by faith. It's in Colossians, the book of Colossians, where Paul writes to the church at Colossae, and he says this in chapter 3. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. You know, for years, Karen worked as a social worker in a hospice and was facing the end of life. Fear and uncertainty can be overwhelming to people who don't know the blessings of what it means to live in Christ. However, for those who know where they're going, there's an inner peace because of the heavenly perspective one has, the hope of eternity in heaven with Christ. My father passed uh, the first week of March this year. He had pastored most of his life. He loves Southern gospel music. Uh, we don't get to hear too much of that from the stage, uh, Abigail, but uh, he loved Southern gospel music. I even took my father and son to uh, Dallas one year for the 
Gaither Homecoming Festival. Uh, that's true love on uh, my part. But the remaining weeks of his life, he never could figure out how to use a, a cell phone. I was able to connect him with an app on his cell phone, and he had playing on his cell phone for the last several weeks of his life. Home songs about heaven, Southern gospel songs, and there are a lot of Southern gospel songs about heaven. Uh, but that's what was comforting him as he looked forward to his eternal home. By faith, living by faith, has an eternal perspective. So Abraham models for us obedience, an eternal perspective, but he also models for us that living by faith is because he knows God is faithful. Uh, remember when God says to Abraham and Sarah, hey, you're going to have a child. You're going to be a father of many nations. Of course, Sarah's first response is, right, Lord, do you know how old I am? Uh, 90? Uh, you really think I'm going to have a child? But uh, Scripture says this. It says, and by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made this promise. And so from this one man, he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. I find it interesting that in the New International Version, it doesn't name Sarah. The, the passage reads this way, by faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful. Both passages show the importance of putting faith in a faithful God. Even as hilarious and ludicrous as it was to think that they were going to have children in their stage of life, they believed, if God says it, they can believe in that promise because he's faithful to deliver on his promise. And so Abraham and Sarah believed on that. And it says then, as the passage goes on, Cain uh, descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand and the seashore. Through their son Isaac, Abraham truly would become the father of many nations. The passage goes on then in verse 13. All these people, that refers back to what we heard last week from Jake, uh, Abel and Enoch and Noah. It's talking about Abraham and, and uh, Sarah. It's going to refer to their descendants of uh, Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. All these people, it says, were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. They could have returned to their homeland. They could have gone back to the Ur of Chaldees, but instead they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So again, we're reminded of the importance of that eternal perspective, the focus on that heavenly country that they were looking toward. And God honors them. 
It's a strange uh, way to put it, isn't it? That God wasn't ashamed of them. Really, you could look at it as God honored them. Uh, He honored the faith of Abraham and his descendants for their faith by preparing a heavenly home for them. No doubt the most challenging aspect of Abraham's faith is found in the next few verses, which tell of the story of Abraham and Isaac. Beginning at uh, verse um, 17, it says, By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promise was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. Can't even comprehend as a father uh, Abraham's uh, following the call of God to do this. Commentator William Newell wrote this about Father Uh, the faith of Abraham. Trial comes in the pathway of faith, and trial often touches our affections, what is nearest and dearest to us. God does not delight to deprive us of what we treasure. On the contrary, Paul tells us, put our hope in God, who gives us everything for our enjoyment. So to prevent us from forgetting the only giver of good things God is continually saying to his own, put back into my hands what I have given to you. Blessed are those who, like Abraham, prove to God their love for him above all by surrendering all. Abraham models for us what it it is to live by faith, obedience to God's word, having an eternal perspective, depending upon God's faithfulness, and surrendering all. These last three verses just talk about the faith of Abraham's extended family. It says, By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Prior to that, it says, By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future in both instances, They're talking about blessing the next generation. They're not going to be around to even see those blessings, but through them, uh, God's blessings will continue. And then finally, it says, by faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt, a word of encouragement about God's faithfulness in the past. But it concludes with a unique line and gave instructions about his bones. That's because he wanted his bones buried back in the land of promise because he knew God would be faithful in fulfilling his promise, and he wanted to be where God's people were. Living by faith. It really takes a daily commitment to do it. Uh, Not easy. And when I think of living by faith, uh, there have been some spiritual practices that I found helpful to do so. And the first is the spiritual concept of detachment. Now, detachment is sometimes found in other religions, uh, in psychology, 
in spirituality. And sometimes it can refer to emptying one's mental and emotional attachments. That's not what uh, spiritual detachment is about. Father Bob Camuso describes spiritual detachment as a process that frees us from whatever interferes with our spiritual growth in Christ. It helps us avoid disordered inclinations and relationships with persons or things. Think about how Abraham detached from his home to follow God's call. There was a season in my life just five and a half years ago. It was my dark night of the soul. I worked at a place where the president, the chief operating officer, and the provost all resigned in the middle of an academic year. Created chaos at the organization. Blew up in social media. And all I could think of was how distraught my father-in-law would have been if he was still living. To see how people of faith attacked one another in social media. It was ugly. And it took me to a place where I needed to detach. I needed to detach from the place where I worked. I needed to detach from the job and the security that provided for me. I needed to detach from some relationships because I needed to reattach to God and make sure he was first and foremost in every area of my life. Jesus calls us to detach. And it was the chapel that immediately followed that incident where the interim president got up and he spoke from Matthew chapter 16. And that is where Jesus calls us to detach. Jesus says this to his followers, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Uh, it was not too long after that time that I started to carry a cross. Uh, it's made of olive wood. It comes from the Holy Land. It's a reminder to me uh, to pick up my cross daily and follow him. But it's really a reminder to, to deny self. Lord, what are you asking me to detach from today? What's interfering in my relationship with you? Detachment. It's one of the spiritual exercises that can be helpful as we seek to live by faith. So what is it that God may be asking you to detach from? Something that's interfering in your relationship with him. I know for me, oftentimes, it's this, or media in general, or a show that I might be streaming or podcast. It might be a relationship and a texting relationship in that phone that's not been helped. Might be a job that's really consuming me and uh, not putting me in a place uh, where I am in a healthy state with the Lord. Tough things to consider, but things that are important if we truly desire to live by faith. Here's the second spiritual practice that uh, you may find help, helpful. It's called the prayer of indifference. Now, don't take that for uh, 
uh, not tearing. Okay, it's not that kind of indifference. It's just the opposite. It's the prayer that Jesus modeled for us in the Garden of Gethsemane. He cries out to the Father, not my will, but thine be done. Author Pete Scazzaro, some of you are familiar with him, notes that it simply means we must become indifferent to anything but the will of God. Scazzaro goes on to say, what this means for me is that I pray for indifference so I can pray the prayer of indifference. Every day I pray for the grace to honestly say, Father, I am indifferent to every outcome except your will. I want nothing more or less than your desire for what I do. Ruth Haley Barton uh, writes and speaks about spiritual formation, and she says the prayer of indifference is a prayer in which we abandon ourselves to God. That's really what what, uh, Abraham uh, modeled for us. He abandoned himself, surrendered himself to God. And so as we close, uh, I ask you to pray along with me this prayer of abandonment. Father, I abandon myself into your hands. Do with me what you will. Whatever you may do, I thank you. I am ready for all. I accept all. Let only your will be done in me and in all your creatures. I wish no more than this, O Lord. Into your hands I commend my soul. I offer it to you with all the love of my heart. For I love you, Lord, and so need to give myself, to surrender myself into your hands without reserve and with boundless confidence. For you are my Father. And it's the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.